You're listening to 100 p.m. episode 41. You're listening to 100 p.m., the show where we're interviewing 100 expert product people from startups to enterprise and everything in between to bring you all the actionable advice you need to succeed in product management. Today's guest is Mark Bertrand, Senior Product Manager of Growth at Sprout Social. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com, the web's fastest growing resource for product management topics, recommended resources, and online learning. I'm Susanna Bate, product coach, startup mentor, and host of today's show. Let's dive right in and say hello to Mark Bertrand. Uh, my name is Mark Bertrand. I am a senior product manager at a company called Sprout Social. What is Sprout Social? Sprout Social is a social media management platform. Uh, we uh, create a platform for brands to manage all of their social media all in one place. Uh, everything from managing uh, large-scale social media campaigns, doing customer service through social media, and providing analytics and reporting on, on those activities. Now, uh, let's go back in time for a moment, Mark. We'll, we'll definitely talk more about Sprout Social later. Your background seems to be an interesting mix of product management experience, sort of official product manager title, and what looks to be much more entrepreneurial, so sort of a couple co-founder stints, some business development type stuff. So tell us about how you ended up here. Sure. Uh, all of it was by accident. So yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I have, uh, I guess, going all the way back to college, I graduated school with a degree in entrepreneurship and finance. Uh, so I've always wanted to do my own thing, obviously went to school for it. And at the same time, got a degree in finance, thought that was pretty interesting, interviewed for a few jobs and realized I had no desire to do that for a living. Uh, wearing a suit, doing that whole thing just sounded terrible. What would a career in finance typically spit you out at on the other end? That's a good question. There are a lot of paths to take, but something like private equity, uh, or uh, financial analyst roles, something like that. I don't know long-term because I didn't explore it enough, <laughs> but uh, I knew that all the entry-level positions would not have been uh, nearly as interesting as I would have liked uh, to do. And I think I, I, w I went into it with all the wrong reasons. Okay. And I knew just going back to why I even went to school for entrepreneurship, uh, I wanted to build things. And that's that's really what was driving me. So I, know, I knew a role in finance uh, wouldn't provide me with any sort of... Um, any sort of uh, ownership or an ability to build anything. Do you remember the first thing you ever built, like even if it goes back to childhood, if like this is the moment I've created? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I, I did all the Lego sort of things like that. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind, though, is my first website I built because okay. it kind of ties pretty close to this. And I think I was in seventh or eighth grade and built it off of like whatever software came on the computer and I got it on the internet and I was like this is insane like I can do this <laughs> this is early uh, days of web yeah very early days and then um, just kind of yeah always always have been putzing and playing with things and yeah that but that was the one that sticks, sticks out in mind it was like the first thing that clicked it was like this is cool all right so you're heading down the finance path and then you have a glimpse of your future and your future is wearing an uncomfortable suit and you're like forget it what happens then? I decided against probably all better judgment that instead of getting a job right out of school in 2008, which was 
a tough time to get a job anyway, that I'd go ahead and start a uh, e-commerce site. Okay. I'm uh, sure your parents were thrilled about oh, that decision. Certainly thrilled um, to know that my college degree uh, in finance was going to be put to good use. So yeah, I, I started an e-commerce site selling uh, blueprints to contractors online. Didn't know anything about construction or printing for that matter. I uh, just knew that uh, I wanted to kind of be in this tech space. And at the time, I don't even think I really knew what a startup was. Uh, so I kind of started this thing and kind of was struggling on my own. Had a few friends who were also doing some did some online stuff and through them met some other folks and kind of discovered what a startup was. And as a result of that, at the time, uh, it was like 2009 or so, 2008, 2009, uh, Chicago had a smaller tech scene. Um, I'm totally making this number up, but a couple hundred uh, people in it. And I started to get more involved and I got involved with a uh, organization called Startup Weekend. Uh, where and I organized uh, along with a friend of mine uh, a few events here in Chicago and actually have done a few around the country and that's when I kind of realized what a startup was and like what this thing that I've always felt what it could actually convert to in, in reality so through that through that experience of startup weekend and my in my own background building uh, an e-commerce site I kind of hooked up with a couple guys and and did got involved in my first startup your first official startup first official startup pause for one second because you've said so many things here and I want to make sure that I, I drill into some of the ones that, that caught my attention first did you build that e-commerce website that first one you did I did not I built out a lot of uh, sites that fed it but I paid somebody I think like a thousand dollars who was a friend of a friend to build out the initial one and then afterwards I didn't have enough money to keep paying this person so I actually had to figure out how to do any sort of development on I had to make changes for customers and to and to uh, just make changes on the, in the internal processes so I uh, actually figured out how to hack on it enough it was in .NET I, I still don't know .NET but I was able to figure out enough to like make it work and uh, so uh, no, I didn't build it, and that was kind of uh, a learning experience in and of itself. Was all, all the Microsoft certified developers listening in are just cringing right now. They're like, "That's why people won't hire us." <laughs> they're trying to hack their way through this sophisticated framework. Yep. Why blueprints? I mean, this is so curious. You said you had no connection to the construction industry. Where did that idea even come from? Came uh, through a friend of mine, and the idea was an SEO play. So through. To a, a different friend, we had the idea that printing large format blueprints, uh, we had the connection to do that. Uh, the idea was that if we um, could get feeder sites through all the major cities, chicagoblueprints.com, Los Angeles blueprints, etc., we could probably drive some traffic through SEO. And, and it was pretty successful, but at the time, the, the concept was pretty successful of driving traffic. Uh, at the time, though, uh, construction wasn't really bustling in 2009, uh, so it was difficult to keep uh, that going uh, on a, a scale that was had any sort of growth or at least maintain my lifestyle, so uh, that was when I decided to kind of move on to something else. So you get in, you start getting hooked into the the early startup scene here in Chicago. You connect with the fact that you're a startup entrepreneur, even though you didn't necessarily have that language when when you launched the first business. And then what happened? And then what happened? So uh, through a startup weekend, uh, a company came out of it uh, that was getting a little bit of traction. And I met the the two founders of it uh, through Startup Weekend. They uh, were able to get some investor 
uh, interest uh, coming out of Startup Weekend, and they kind of turned to me and said, hey, you're running this startup thing, you kind of know some folks, you have a business background, we don't, we're both engineers, do you want to kind of come on board? So along with um, myself and two other uh, team members kind of formed this company, which was called CloudBot. Uh, they raised some money, they went to an incubator in San Francisco called AngelPad, and through that I kind of uh, was thrust into a real startup uh, world. Uh, so I was brought on there as a business person to kind of figure out how to make money and like I think the role was business development but we didn't really even know what that was probably at the time in a, in, in a real context but uh, that was uh, kind of my first experience as a product manager building something from nothing and having a bunch of it was four engineers out of the five people so I was only non-technical person at the time and kind of realized there was a need to do some sort of project management and make sure that we actually kept moving towards the goal and what we're trying to build so uh, through that I did a little bit of research of like hey how do we manage you know a team of engineers and get things done and I think like Trello came out around then and I realized what Kanban was so I was like all right let's try this thing and see if we can make a little more progress than we're making right now because before we were kind of like herding cats and we had a bunch of ideas and we're going after everything and it was like all right let's try to kind of formalize this priority a little bit and like go after one thing at a time until we like actually ship it. Right. This is this is really good stuff because you know, I I consult a lot of startups and I think one of the one of the patterns of startups and I mean this is true in anything, right? You don't know what you don't know. So you just sort of come together and then you're kind of winging it. Do you my my first question I want to come back to Kanban in a moment so remind me. But my first question is given your experience being part of a couple kind of early stage scrappy but ambitious ventures being the business guy to engineers etc do you think there is a sort of ideal construct of a of a startup team that you know because you wear so many hats if I were wanting to start a new business with somebody, who should I partner with so that we have the right spread of skill set, just in your opinion? Uh, that's a great question. I think it's important to be pretty open to where your shortcomings are. So through the process of my first true startup, venture-backed, I kind of realized my big shortcoming was not being as technical as some of the people around me and not being able to speak with a lot of the engineers. That's since changed and now I think someone for me personally with a heavy sales and marketing background would be more beneficial to partner with versus before when I when I did my first uh, and was involved in the first startup, uh, it was someone that had to be technical because I had no idea how to, how to do that. So I think it's being aware of where your shortcomings in, uh, are in terms of the full package. What are all the needs of your business? You know, if we're if you're building something, um, you know, what how what is the scope of that? Like, how how technical does someone need to be? Are you the right person to build that or not? And then, how are you actually going to get it to market? And do you have the skills for that? So, the perfect mix is probably a blend of every skill possible and being overly focused or uh, an expert in one space is uh, doesn't translate super well to startups in my opinion you kind of have to be a jack of all trades and be able to get at least get, be able to, uh, open to getting dirty in, in every aspect of it now, I'm surprised given your 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 deep net experience that you found yourself struggling to communicate with the engineers early on. Can you talk just a little bit more about that? What was that experience like of realizing I don't have this this language, if you will? Yeah, I think it it wasn't it was a pretty uh, early realization I had that we were integrating with a lot of APIs. We clearly had a database. We had our web app. We were building an API and we we're building a mobile app. 
I didn't really know how all those spoke to one another, nor I, I pretty much no idea how they worked. So that was when I realized that, okay, I'm not kind of speaking the same language as these guys and I need to, I need to at least understand how this system works. So that was kind of the realization was, like, okay, these guys are speaking a language that's just foreign to me. And so I decided and asked them one day is like, how do I start learning this like on my own? And they were super helpful and kind of pointing me some resources. And actually through the, through this experience learned through that startup learned uh, Ruby on Rails. I don't remember if I contributed any code to that. I don't think I did at that stage, but at least I get it, gained a basic uh, understanding of conceptually how a web app and mobile app uh, speak to an API and um, just how things are built and gain, gain more of an appreciation of how they're built and, and what it takes to for a developer and engineer to put something together. Uh, and through that kind of experience was able to kind of speak the same language as them, have a better understanding of the tasks needed to complete something. And, 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 and that was very beneficial as that process went on. Do you feel, so given that you have this, this business background and, and clearly the entrepreneurial spirit, how has your experience changed working for the last number of years as you have in sort of more structured roles? Do you feel in any way held back or it's helped you to grow as an individual? Yeah. That's, uh, Did I just of, push on a pain point? You're yeah. like, yeah, I want my own business again. Yeah, so I definitely have the, uh, and this is no surprise to anybody, but I definitely have the entrepreneurial bug and want to go back and do my own thing. Mm-hmm. However, working in more of a structured environment has taught me one thing that I, I didn't know I didn't have before, and that's managing and growing teams is a skill set that is, I think, very difficult to even understand if you've never done it. So if you've always been in startups and very small teams, which I had until a couple of years ago, been only in those teams, uh, it was kind of impossible for me to conceptualize what are the skills needed to to grow a team or be part of a growing team. Because we're at Sprout now, 300 employees. I think when we started, we were 150. Wow. I built out, uh, worked with uh, the engineering team to, break, to build out a growth team here. It started at like one or two, I think two of us, two or three of us total. And now I think we're at a total of, uh, I think eight, nine or 10. So how's that grow? And then um, that's something that, you know, with my goal of going back and, and starting my own startup and, and wanting to grow something to hopefully very large, like that's something that you don't, um, that's a skill that you can't really learn unless you've gone through it once before. You can't tell someone like this is how you would do it, right. uh, at least not in my opinion. So being able to at least go through that process with Sprout, uh, Sprout and better understand what um, what it takes to grow and kind of the, the pain points along the way has been hugely beneficial. So I think that'll be applicable to when I want to go back and do my own thing someday. Well, let's let's dive into it just a little bit. What are some of the things that you specifically learned from growing a team? I mean, is it, are you talking about the actual recruitment process? Are you talking about how the dynamic changes when it's first, it was just me and -and so-and-so and now it's me and -and so-and-so and that person and this person help us to understand that journey a little. So developing a a new team internally, there is uh, trade-offs in what it would do to the roadmap on another team. So you take one or two engineers, um, or designer off of a team and put them on this new team, what are the trade-offs and what are the benefits of doing that? So that's something that's interesting, How to looking at the whole company and the roadmap and kind of where you're going and better understanding what the impacts are and kind of weighing those. Um, you have to be pretty thoughtful through that process. I've got to learn through some great team members here how, how uh, some frameworks to do that. Um, so that's uh, been very interesting to be a part of that. And then growing a team from those two to three people to 10 uh, is interesting. Everyone works a little bit differently. Everyone has different motivations. They, they want to 
do different things. So that's a uh, that's a different beast to tackle once you start growing the team, and it's it's been a really interesting process. How much of that work, you know, because this is I think this is an interesting piece that that we're we're touching on. Nobody is going to tell you exactly what you need to do. That's certainly true in a in an absolute startup environment because, as we already said, we sort of don't even know what we're supposed to be doing. But then as the company is getting bigger, I think the higher levels of management are looking to people like you and saying, okay, Mark, you got this, right? And then so, like, build your team and, like, make sure it doesn't suck. And then all of these subtle requirements start to become part of your job description, like making sure there's a cultural fit, making sure that that morale is up. Can you talk about, this is like the people management side of the product management role. Um, Can you talk about your experience in that and how that changed your understanding of what you're supposed to be focusing on in a given day or in a given week or month? Sure. The interesting thing about being a product manager in general is you don't actually manage anybody. At least I haven't found a company that you you do that on your in your specific team. Maybe you have a, a, some PMs below you, but in terms of your engineers, your designers, your QA, you don't you're not their people manager. You have to convince them or bribe them or whatever it is to, to kind of uh, persuade, persuade uh, align them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you have to align them around the goal and the mission of the team and, and, and the company on the whole and what you're what you're there to do and rally them around a roadmap that you know they might have questions about or maybe be questioning. Um, so that's been um, I guess from a people management perspective been interesting because you don't have any recourse. Not that you would hold, hang over someone's head and say if you don't do this, you're gonna there's gonna be uh, ramifications to it uh, as a people manager, but not having the that role has been interesting. So you become a people manager, but you're not. And that's something that I think even some people on your team kind of forget. You're not their manager. They look to you for direction setting and for priority setting and, and what you're what you're there to build out. But at the end of the day, like you're not in charge of their career path. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting space you're in. So you work directly with their people managers to help you know, say, hey, they're, they're really thriving in this. Uh, they're, you know, struggling here. They think this is a growth area. Um, and that's been pretty interesting to kind of learn how to be a people manager without actually being one. <laughs> yeah, it's like having the responsibility, but not the jurisdiction, Yeah, which yeah. is challenging because you, you take it on, I think, certainly emotionally, right? You become acutely aware that you have a responsibility to get things accomplished with the product and you have a responsibility to get them accomplished in a way where everybody feels good and everybody feels that they made the right levels of contribution and you're not the people manager and you don't have the power to just fire somebody because for any reason. Right. And I think uh, for, for my experience specifically, I've had really great luck with everyone on my teams. So you, from an emotional level, I internalize, I want everyone to be as successful as possible. So like there's a, a cost in a, in a, you know, like I just feel this responsibility to make sure that a we're shipping the best thing possible to customers and users, but that we're I'm making sure that they're getting every opportunity they they can have and helping their managers better understand that. So yeah, it's been interesting not being the people manager, but being uh, I think so heavily invested in 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 uh, the team's development and stuff like that. Talk to us about what is the the problem or need that Sprout Social is addressing as a platform. There are a lot. Okay. Um, Give us a few. So we, the way our uh, platform is 
broken up is in, into a couple different uh, verticals. One is analytics and reporting, pretty self-explanatory. We provide analytics on, uh, on social uh, activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our engagement tools, which are our, our social inbox. So we pull in comments, retweets, uh, at mentions, all into one inbox where a customer service team can manage any, any inter- incoming and inbound social uh, requests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have our kind of uh, social campaign planning platform, which are publishing and calendar uh, tooling. So a uh, social media uh, team can actually uh, plan out a month or a week of, uh, of their social campaign. So that's kind of the three ver- main verticals of our platform. So we, uh, that, that's kind of one of the interesting things about uh, my role on the, in, in growth in general is um, helping people find the aha moment given that we do so many things and we mean different things to different people. Right. Um, so a customer service person who's interested in build, finding a better tool to handle the, the in, inbound direct messages and private messages they're getting on Facebook and Twitter, we have to make sure they can find that very easily in the platform. Uh, and then being able to tie that activity to the report uh, that would surface their performance and they'd be able to show to their internal stakeholders. Um, so. We mean a lot to a lot of different people, but uh, and that's kind of one of the challenges is, with our, the growth role here is that we actually, you know, we have someone comes in, they they tell us, you know, in different ways what they're interested in, but actually, does that translate to some a feature and making sure they find the exact feature that would give them that 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 kind of moment of zen and like, what okay, I get why I would use Sprout over something else and why it's better than using the the native platforms. Right. So I, I think what I'm hearing you describe is the idea of different user personas and and those users having different goals for the platform. And so does your role then cut across all the verticals? So whereas somebody here might be specifically focused on features or benefits within analytics and reporting, your job is to really cut across all of those aspects of the product to make sure we're delivering on the user goals? Totally. So um, yeah, my role is for the from the top of funnel through the end of our 30-day trial uh, that a customer discovers everything that they need to 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 make that purchase decision and make it on from an educated standpoint so i'm um across cutting across all the different features to make sure that we kind of service them in a lot of different ways and there, there's collaboration with those um with those different teams, but you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. We have feature-specific teams that they deliver um, new features uh, in each of those verticals. I discussed the publishing, engagement, and reporting. Um, and my role is to make sure that those are surface to trials. Uh, and and as we kind of grow into our subscriber um, base, make sure that our subscribers are, are more aware of those new um, features as they come out. Talk a little bit about, for our listeners, talk a little bit about the difference between the objectives for, I think you're describing activation in a lot of ways, right? So I, for whatever reason, I discovered Sprout Social. I saw an ad, I was at a trade show, I heard this podcast. I go to the website, I determine that it might be something interesting to me and I sign up for the free trial. And the thing that's going to convert me to a customer is really rooted in how much value that free trial brings to me, which is, I think, tied to 
the discoverability of the features and whether or not those features speak to me. So a lot of your work, it sounds like, is let's make sure those features are discoverable. Let's make sure that the person on the other end is engaging so that they can become a potentially happy customer and, and move through uh, through another funnel in a way. Yeah, 100%. Our, my role is making sure that a customer understands the value we have. And then, like I said before, it means so much to so, so many different things to so many different people. And so we are tasked with making sure that whatever they came to do, and we're, we're really focused right now on the first five minutes of their their use is making sure that we connect them and help convey the value of, of um, our features in the first five minutes. So if they came in to answer, uh, to, to use uh, the inbox as a customer service tool, do they have messages in the inbox? If so, how do we, how do we show them how to, you know, how to mark them as complete and what mark as complete means? Uh, how do we get them to uh, engage with the customer, especially on a new platform? that they may just be kicking the tires on? How do we make sure that they understand like wh- how this would work in their daily workflow? Um, and that's that's like our 100% our primary focus is making sure that they actually see what, how they would use this in their daily life and what problem it would solve for them. Because that's, that's what they're looking for, right? They're coming with a specific problem, they want a solution. So how do we make sure that in our, our big platform that does lots of different things and people can grow into uh, from a one person team all the way up to a thousand person team, how do we make sure that they understand the value of, and the solution to their problem. So at any future point, if I want to check up on how you're doing, I should just sign up for the free trial and then I'll know yes. what, what Mark's up to. Yeah, you'll know exactly what I'm doing. Sign up for a couple of them. You'll see some of our A-B tests. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's go back. When you started at Sprout, you actually started on the mobile product management side. So the, the growth role that you're describing is what you've been doing kind of more recently. When you were brought in, what was the state of the mobile product? What was your contribution during that time? Yeah, so yeah, when I came into Sprout, uh, my main focus was the iOS and Android apps. We have uh, both phone and tablet apps uh, that mirror some of the functionality, but not all of our uh, our web functionality. The state of the mobile apps was it was interesting. We had them built. Uh, a couple different engineers built them more as I would I guess I would call it a hack week or just as a side project knowing that we they wanted a mobile app they they wanted they knew customers wanted it they figured out a way to get it done and and actually ship something so it was in an interesting state when I came in they they were out in the world people were using them they lacked a lot of features they they were uh, in a in a state of uh, needing to be elevated a bit, especially I mean this is only two and a half years ago, so uh, mobile apps had come a long way when, since they first launched them in 2011, 12, somewhere around there. So um, they were kind of behind the times in terms of UX and uh, overall experience. Uh, so my role was to a bring them up to uh, and goal was to bring them up to par with the rest of our features offering. So the inbox, for example, was missing some features. Same with publishing. So how did we? Uh, so it was really prioritizing what are the most valuable features to customers on mobile, uh, and and actually determining what should be built on mobile and what shouldn't, and then setting that and and um, actually building it out with the team, as well as just uh, overall uh, user experience enhancements from stability to actually thinking through how do we, um, as the platform grew, how do we actually 
fit this into a very small screen. You have this luxury on, on web that you have this, you know, a lot of real estate. How do we actually do all these interesting things we're doing, uh, but do them on a very small device and make it intuitive and, and actually delightful to use? Any any uh, particular wins from that journey of, of bringing bringing some love to the mobile products that, that you, you're particularly proud of? Uh, yeah, overall stability, we were able to get to like a, a level that is, it was very exciting. I think we were like, you know, 99.5% crash-free users. So that was something that was a goal that we set out from the beginning. And then we brought most of the features up to a level that was in line with with web. So in all, all in all, it wasn't probably the sexiest of, of uh, experiences on, uh, on mobile in terms of, you know, we weren't coming from zero, we weren't being able to really innovate from nothing. We had a frame, I had a framework and a rails to go on and say, hey, we're building towards this. It's already been established by web, so just go, you know, determine what should be built on mobile and then build it out. So I, I was very happy with the, the progress we were able to make. And now if you download the mobile apps, um, our, our, our new PM's taken over in the last six months, but uh, they, they look great. They're, they're very, um, they're at a, at a much better level than they were when I when I got here, so. Did your Sprout Social inbox ever capture an app mention? It's like, at Sprout Social, we're loving the new mobile app. And then you printed it up and put it by your desk. A couple times, yeah. I didn't print it out, but I definitely shared it out via Slack. And I was it was a good moment because of course you, uh, People who have a good experience, you hear from them. People who have bad experience, you hear from them ten times as much. So you hear all those uh, rough experiences, and you're like, "Oh man!" And then you finally see a good one. You're like, "Yes." Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So the 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 experience that you were describing just now, and versus the one that you're currently working in. So your your mobile product management role here before you kind of move to the growth. This is an interesting split on how the product manager role can differ. One of the things that we talk about a lot on the 100 p.m. show is precisely the fact that the product manager experience can be so different depending. Depending on the product within an organization, depending on where it is in the life cycle. The, the experience you describe for the mobile app is a lot more design development centric you know granted there were some constraints as you said we have to kind of work backwards from what we have as a web app and and what we started from the mobile app but a lot of the work it sounds like was improving usability introducing features in a compelling way growth is a very different kind of mentality can you share a little bit from your perspective of how your learning has evolved from being design development centric to what you have to be learning and doing now in this new role? Sure. So yeah, on mobile, particularly here, it was more of a uh, execution uh, against the roadmap and more of a product product manager. So very focused on shipping, very focused on engineering design. And I knew that I, you know, I felt very confident had uh, in my ability to do that. Had a lot of feedback internally that yes, I was I was performing at a uh, at a pace that everyone was happy with, and they, I was shipping. So um, I actually talked to our CEO Justin and said, "Hey, I have this background and, and this interest in going back into startups. Um, right now, what I'm not getting is the ability to tie in revenue and sales and business objectives with." shipping and that's something that I'd really like to do. Additionally, there is this opportunity here at Sprout that we're, we're not focusing on and really optimizing the trial experience and I'd really like to do that. And through a lot of conversations, we were able to say, yeah, I think this this aligns with your objectives and, and the businesses, let's let's do this. So I think it's taken a lot of, it's, it's a definitely a different approach and it changed like day zero of thinking about how does this all affect 
these the customers like trial experience that's primarily where we're focused on uh, their business objectives but we want to make sure that using the the i guess product experience and, and shipping stuff that we're still in line with you know the level of design and features that we're shipping on uh, to our subscribers but how do we make sure that we're testing and iterating and, and, and working more towards the business objectives which is increasing revenue increasing our conversion rate um, so thinking more about the business objectives in the context of all the, the roadmap and planning that we're doing on the growth uh, team has has taken some uh, definitely a, a different uh, shift in mentality and, and thinking but one that I felt that has been very interesting, uh, being able to think about, oh, hey, we're building this. How does this? How how do we actually present this to a customer who hasn't even paid us yet? Additionally, uh, the feedback we get is different. So on mobile and on any of our web features for subscribers, we get we get feedback in a lot of different forms through reviews, an app store, um, through actual emails to support, through conversation with our sales team. Uh, and our, our support and success teams versus our feedback loop on trials is whether or not they paid us. And to me, that's that's super interesting. Kind of what I originally set out to do um, when I wanted to start working on growth was that uh, to me, the, the most sincerest form of feedback of in, in positive affirmation that you built something useful is someone actually reaching into their wallet and paying you for it. So we have a different feedback loop. It's it's interesting to work on something where some customers paying you and they're like, hey, I really want this to, this feature in there. I only want this improved. We have to infer a lot of that through data and we do get some feedback on it, but it's a lot harder to ask someone who didn't subscribe, like, hey, what were we missing? Versus somebody like, hey, what, what are we missing? Like, let's, let's build this out for you and make this better. In the product management class that I teach, I spend some time on a unit focused around customer acquisition and funnel building. And I had a student say to me recently, do we really need to know this as PMs? And what you were just talking about reminded me how important it is to understand the sales and marketing side of the business. And and so if you are like your role in mobile, maybe as a PM, you won't be touching it as much. You particularly sought it out probably because you come from that business background because of that entrepreneurial side. But do you have an opinion on how much a PM should or shouldn't know about sales and marketing? I, I do, uh, and this has differed or changed very drastically over the last probably three to four years. Um, so initially, I was very much of the mindset that I should build something and build it great, and if I build it, everyone will want to pay for it and come, and then I, that's just how things work, right? I can If I build something great, people will come. Uh, that is not at all true in my experience. Having an audience and having someone who can take someone through the experience is, depending on what you're building, of course, super valuable. And uh, that's the one thing that I've realized over the years of building my own side projects and working at different startups and um, even at large companies that sales and marketing is hugely beneficial and knowing even just a, a little bit about it and how the process works uh, should inform a lot of your product decisions and it does especially right now on the in, on the growth team and the trial funnel we have you know there's a lot of other inputs from sales and marketing on a customer's trial experience for for sprout specifically you have 30 days to make your decision whether or not you're going to buy we have control over what they do in the app we're sending emails salespeople are talking to them as uh, providing demos there's webinars there's a lot of inputs into that trial experience so having a good understanding of the strategy and what that what that looks like and helps inform what the decisions you're making in the product and how customers are are perceiving what what you're actually building. This is a big office. How, how many folks are here at Sprout? Oh, you said about 300. Yeah, last last I heard it was 300, but I think every two weeks we bring a lot of more people in. And it's yeah. basically doubled since 
since you first joined the team. Yeah, it definitely has doubled. What uh, what can you say about your personal experience f- going from typically smaller teams, three people, 10 people, maybe 20 people, to being in an organization of, I mean, 150 and then now 300? Yeah, so when I started, 150 was about uh, the biggest company I ever thought I'd work at and wanted to work at. Uh, so. Uh, being at 300 is pretty insane, and we're growing very quickly, and 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 it's growing every day, and we're running out of office space already. So it's it's been a different journey and and experience uh, on that in that regard. How my experiences differed is I I I don't know how to put this exactly, but I was interest it was interesting to go through like a performance review process compared to something with you know four or five employees where or four and five team members where it's a pretty constant performance review. Like hey, you're screwing up is a is what generally what happens in a startup or like, hey, you need to do better at this. Uh, having a you know a more formal process like that, having all hands meetings, having more just formality around everything was a pretty interesting learning experience and did take some adjustment. Uh, as we grow, we're, we're introducing different things from uh, our, our teams splitting up into smaller teams that are actually just the same size as they started out with uh, and they're just inflating. So there's a lot of uh, different processes and, and different things that have uh, come up uh, from a 150 to 300 uh, growth uh, trajectory, but from four to five to 150 to 300 is like night and day. It's, it's, at four or five, you have to do everything. You don't have a choice of just, I'm only a product manager. At a, at a 300 person company, you're much more specialized and I'm a product manager, but I do other stuff too. Is there a new ceiling for you as to the biggest company that you would want to work in? Or are we at it right now? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think you know, ready to dive into a thousand or I think like Groupon here in Chicago is 15,000 people. Yeah, like that. that is, uh, I think we're... I'm in a unique position. I think we're past my threshold. Okay. Uh, but being so early on the product team and how our product team runs at Sprout, we still have the autonomy and we report virtually directly to the CEO still. So that to me is super important. Being able to better to understand, you know, our our mission and objectives for the year directly from you know from the CEO is uh, hugely beneficial and kind of that threshold. So I think a uh, 15,000 15, person company is probably a bit too big for me, but uh, I think we've we've passed my threshold, but I'm, I'm happy here because uh, kind of the unique position we're in. Well, you're still growing. I yeah. saw a sign downstairs, I think, did it say like, always be growing? Something yes. like that? Is yeah. that a Sprout Social value? That's a Sprout Social value and it's a nod to the name. And yeah, I think they, they I've seen that all over, yeah. Let's talk about growing in the form of advice for some of our listeners. If I want to get into product management, what would you say to me? Good question. I have talked to a lot of different friends and friends of friends about that exact question. Uh, and I would say, I think you're, if you're listening to this podcast, you're on the right path of just identifying what product management is. But the main piece of advice I generally give people is to build something. I don't think it's an, I do not think it's a requirement to be technical, uh, but going through the process of building something is super beneficial to better understanding what your role would be. And uh, when I'm interviewing somebody or talking to them, if they've shown any sort of initiative to build something, whether it's 
you know, a website for something or a blog or for something they're interested in, actually working on, on a startup weekend project, working for a nonprofit they're involved in and kind of going through the, the process even once. Um, to me, that, that shows that they truly are interested in, in what they'd have to do every day and they've at least got a taste of it, uh, especially someone coming from 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 no experience in, in product. I think that's hugely beneficial. And I would I would say if you're if you're really interested in, you don't have to be technical, but learning some sort of uh, better understanding of how even HTML, CSS, JavaScript work, if you can go as far as learning Rails or Python, I think that's pretty pretty beneficial, even at a basic level. I would not say it's a requirement, but to me, having a technical understanding is really helpful when you're talking with engineers on a regular basis. I'm just curious, because you said that you've given this advice to some friends of yours. Do these people come to you saying, hey, I'm interested in product management and I understand that you do that, can you tell me? Or they don't even know what product management is and the conversation starts there. Uh, I've had it both ways. Okay. Um, a few friends of mine have stumbled into, like gone through startups, realized they need kind of a paying gig somewhere to my uh, trajectory here. But, and I have come across like, okay, I have this entrepreneurial background, I've built things before. What does that translate to in a bigger company? And product management encompasses all, all aspects of kind of what you learn as a founder. So I've had it from from that regard where they identify it on their own. And then I've had it for through somebody who like, I want to like build stuff. What is it you do? And I kind of explained it and they're like, oh, I guess that would be a good fit. I actually have done something similar at my role as a more of a project manager on a technical project. And it's like, oh yeah, that's pretty similar to what I do. Uh, so I've had it both ways that people really discover it or stumble upon it. Or a lot of people also don't know what I do because I, I tell people I build web apps and mobile apps because it, it's easier to be like, I'm a product manager. Like, what is that? And I got to explain. I'm like, oh, I just build apps. And they're like, oh, that's cool. And then like later, like I have an app idea and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, part of, part of the dream for 100 p.m. is not just um, to honor our mission of bringing actionable advice for exceeding and excelling and succeeding in product management, but that other people will one day have a definition for what is product management. Because I don't think you're alone in this regard. I have many guests on the show. They're like, yeah, my... My friends and family still have no idea what I do all day long. So yeah, so I, I'm the, I listened to a couple of the other podcasts, and one thing that came out, and a few of them was that brand management is the original product manager. So I was a product manager for about a year, and my wife is a brand manager uh, in in the CPG world, and we didn't put two and two together ourselves until like a year later, and we we're like, oh, that's what a, she was like, oh, that's product management is like. I, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a nice bonding moment yeah, though, when like, you finally had we were the like, insight. Oh, we're too much alike, I think. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. What about um, hard lessons learned on the job, either from your own experience? Do you remember kind of a a first big mistake or or, or failure, if you will, that you learned from, or else things you've seen from other folks as they've been trying to kind of work their way up through the process? Yeah, through my own experience, uh, you have to be opinionated, have a backbone about your opinion and be able to justify it, but don't have an ego. Uh, you will get slapped down pretty quick. And that's happened, and it was, the ego was bruised, but I took it as a learning experience, and it was important to recognize the level, the, the line and where you can't cross, but to always justify all of your your feelings. So having a strong opinion about whether or not you should build something, how it should be built is part of your role. And, and But being able to listen to other people's opinions and not have too much of an ego that it doesn't, uh, that you don't hear them uh, and that you actually uh, kind of bring them into your decision-making process is, is something I've learned uh, very early on in the product uh, role. 
Yeah, I think that's excellent advice, not just for succeeding in product, but succeeding in relationships yep. in general. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what, do, what do you love about product management? What's your love the job sentiment? Uh, so this, yeah, uh, I love a lot of it. I love all of it. I So I my hobby is doing exactly what I do at work. So I go home and work on side projects. Uh, always have an idea for new, you know, bi- new business, new product, and actually build them at home. So I like that I get to do what I love every day, and I get to ship. That's kind of there's nothing more exciting to me than actually getting something out, out in the world and someone using it, and actually seeing like, okay, they're using what I created from nothing, and that to me is pretty interesting. And why I love what I do. People use what you build all day long. What about recommended resources for our growing list, books, blogs, podcasts, anything that uh, you think is worth checking out? Yeah, I, I read the resources on the blog already. Uh, a lot of great ones on there. If you're ready in the role, first round is, is invaluable. If you're looking to do something in growth or, or on a smaller team, uh, Growth Hackers is awesome. Uh, I personally read Hacker News, which I didn't see on there. You have to filter through a lot of stuff, but if you aren't technical or aren't as technical as you want to be, it's a great opportunity to learn about new technologies and what, what's interesting and, and kind of changing there. Last question for you, Mark. Is there a life or work philosophy that you use to kind of govern how you get through it all? Uh, I do, and I, I told you this before, uh, it's super cheesy, but and I, I really wish I came up with a better way to, uh, to phrase it, uh, but I, I love shipping and getting something out the door and getting feedback and, 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 and building upon that. So I'd say always be shipping, whether or not that's something uh, you're working on in your personal life or something that, that you're working on in, in a product role, get, get it out the door, get people's feedback. Uh, it's not as scary as you think. Uh, Mark Bertrand, Sprout Social, thank you so much for being a part of our show. Thank you. It's great. Thank you for listening to 100PM, the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you enjoyed the show, please help us get discovered by leaving a five-star rating and review right from your podcast app. Our mission is to help you excel at product management. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great free resources to help you on your path, including all of the recommendations from our fabulous guests week over week. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. We'll be back next week with an all new episode.